Welcome to Your Lot and Parcel Podcast with your host, Benjamin Diaz, designed strictly for you, the consumer. You will find that this platform has your best interests at heart. Thank you for tuning in. This is Benjamin here, your host. My guest today is a developmental psychologist and family coach on a mission to provide actionable strategies and initiatives for building your teen's resilience and the ability to adapt to change and disappointment. On my show today, the doctor speaks to how parents and their teens can begin to understand each other and thrive. Also, the doctor sheds light on how parents can empower their teens to develop confidence and not to be unduly self-conscious. What are the top worries of adolescents today? Well, she will answer that question for us today. She also expounds on the behavior of isolation and the requirement of sleep. For the past 20 years, Dr. Cam has been on a mission to help as many parents and teens to rebuild and strengthen their relationships. Also, the doctor has developed a process every parent can use with their teens to help connect them and calm the drama. It's called the prime parenting method. The goal is to help not just survive adolescence, but to thrive. The doctor holds a certification in professional life coaching and taught adolescent psychology at the George Mason University of Virginia. She's also the host of Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam podcast. Let's welcome Dr. Cam Caswell. Thank you, doctor, for being on our show. I'm, I'm really grateful to you. I, I know that uh, it's, uh, it's imperative that uh, when we talk, we're talking about interrelationships within the family, uh, I'll tell you what, it's worth discussing. And I, I thank you for being on my show. So tell us, uh, uh, Doctor, being a developmental psychologist, what is your mission? Tell us about that. Well, first of all, thank you, Benjamin, for having me on. I really appreciate it and sharing my message and my mission. And my mission is really to help parents understand their teenagers. And this really started um, when I was taking adolescent psychology, getting my PhD, and I was teaching an adolescent psychology class. And I had a lot of parents in my class, several of my students were parents, and they started coming up to me and saying, Dr. Cam, what you're teaching in class is completely changing my relationship with my own teen. And I had several students coming up telling me this. And it was because they now understood them. And I thought, why don't all parents have this information? Because it changes everything. And I've been really on this mission to get this information into the hands of as many parents as I can, because parenting teens can be tough. It doesn't have to be nearly as tough as we're making it. 
Mm-hmm. Very good, because I, I know I've uh, raised uh, three, and mm-hmm. I don't have any. I don't have any more uh, teenagers at home. The youngest is twenty-five, but uh, and they're all different, you know, mm-hmm. personality, individually, and so forth. Their needs, character, and so forth. So, how can parents and teenagers begin to mutually understand each other, Doctor? So one of the ways is to, for parents to really understand that the way the teen brain works, how teens interact and perceive the world is very different than it was when they were younger. And it's very different than we do as an adult. And I think so much of the conflict that can happen between parents and teens is all due to misunderstanding. Um, parents, we get very, I, I'm a mom of a teen too. So I live this every single day. Um <laughs> We, you know, we get frustrated because the behaviors that we see our teens do, you know, to us, we read it as defiance, disrespect, being difficult, laziness, being Mm -hmm. secretive, like all these things, being lazy, these things that we kind of push our buttons and we don't like, and we, we don't want to feel that way. We don't want to accept that behavior. Mm -hmm. And so we get upset. And we will do many things. We'll tell them to stop. We'll yell at them. We'll take their phones away. There's a lot of things that we do to stop this behavior that we don't see as acceptable. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to explain to parents is that the behavior we see and are perceiving as disrespectful and lazy are actually kids, our teens' way of best dealing with what's going on with them. Mm-hmm. And so they've got certain tasks that they need to accomplish. And if you think about it, why does every parent almost have the same sorts of problems with their teens and have been for years and years? It's not because teens are broken, it's because teens have certain things that they need to accomplish and their brain is wired to do Mm -hmm. these tasks and adults just don't, we misunderstand it and we don't work with them, we work against them. And so Mm -hmm. understanding that these behaviors of defiance and disrespect, they're really, there are teens attempt to create and regain some control and to create some independence and separation for us, which they need to do in order to become self-reliant adults, right? We're trying to get them to be able to go out into the world and function on their own. And so when we want them to be obedient and just do what we say, well, we're not teaching them how to do that. We're, and so they're going to push back because that basically just triggers everything in them to say, no, this is okay for me. And they don't know how to do this in a way that feels respectful to us. So we need to teach them how to do that. And we also need to respect and appreciate and understand that they need to be able to develop these skills and to give them the space to do it. I know I'm uh, thinking about the, the, the subject matter here. I, of course, you can't help but to think uh, retrospectively. You know, when I was growing up, you know, it was so different. The environment is so different from today. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate in a lot of ways. My, my dad, he uh, always made sure we were busy. Um, I'm a um, second generation. Uh, he uh, was his family from Northern Italy, and, uh, and and I guess that explains why he got into the vineyard, the wine business here in the area. Mm-hmm. So he'd always have us out there mending whatever needed to be mending and teaching us this and that. We're just too busy to to think otherwise, you know. And 
there's a work work ethic. It was mm -hmm. uh, what he taught us, you know. And I think it's very important for parents and children to interact that way. So, would you say this is a physiological or psychological or both that we're having to deal with? I mean, it, it's both. I mean, part of it is it's physical. Um, it's brain. I mean, now we know in the past ten plus yeah. years we've have neuroscience. So we've mm. been able to actually explore and look at the teen brain and how it's developing. And so there's a lot of insight that has come from that. And mm. what they've discovered is that the adolescent brain goes through a growth spurt. The only other time in a human's life that it goes through a growth spurt like this is when we're infants and we're learning to walk and we're learning to talk and we're learning to mm. understand the world. During adolescence, our brain goes through an equally massive growth spurt, but now it's growing in density and it's creating connections and we're learning to problem solve. We're learning to regulate emotions. We're learning to understand social cues and skills. We're learning all of these things that parents tend to get upset with their teens when they're not good at it. And I like to liken this to getting upset with our infants when they're learning to walk and falling over. We don't get upset because they're learning how. We help them back up, we coax them, we teach them new strategies, we get excited and celebrate little wins. They get one step, and we're like, whoa, you know? And then our teens are now going through a similar phase, trying to learn these new skills, and we just ride them when they don't do it perfectly the first time. Instead of going, okay, they're still learning how to do this. How do I help them? How do I guide them? How do I find small wins and celebrate those small wins to build up their confidence and encourage them to continue to learn how to do this? Mm -hmm. So I think there's understanding the brain development and where they're at and also understanding that they need us. These skills are not something we're just born with. We need to learn them. And as parents, we need to help our kids learn them. Yes. Yeah. How would you define um, uh, the years uh, of adolescence? Would you say that between 10 and 19 or would, would that be a valid statement? Yeah, it varies. I think um, it, it depends on the child. I know the brain does not fully finish developing until well into their 20s. Mm -hmm. So some people can say adolescence even goes into the <laughs> mid 20s. Um, and we we kind of say too that, Adolescence has been kind of expanding a little bit only because kids have been staying home longer. Um, mm -hmm. And really adolescence is it's this period between basically morphing from a child into an adult. I and see. that's, that's really what it is. And so how long it takes a child to do that mm -hmm. <laughs> can differ. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, like you were saying, um, you know, generations ago, you know, when our parents were younger and stuff, we, we kind of pushed them into adulthood very quickly, even though oh, their yeah. brain wasn't fully developed, they yeah. did have the responsibilities. And now I think we prolong that a little bit, um, both for the betterment and for the detriment of our kids, where we give mm -hmm. them that longer time to, to grow into an adult. Mm -hmm. So uh, how can we as parents empower our teens to be a little more confident, you know, not so unduly self-conscious uh, doctor? I love that question. Um, one of the biggest things I am, encourage parents to do, which is probably one of the hardest things for parents to do is enable our kids to own things and to fail. And mm. so what happens is, and what we see a lot now is 
as parents, we don't want to see our kids hurt. We don't want to see, see our kids fail. We want to make sure the world that everything is set up for them to be successful in life. Yes, but what right. happens is we go and we fix it for them. And we go in and we protect them from things happening. Yes. And then they don't develop the skills, nor the confidence, nor the experience of being able to do it on their own. And now we see, you know, talk to people that are working with millennials and now Gen Z and you'll just get this big eye roll like, oh, my God, what's wrong with this generation? Well, I can tell you what's wrong with this generation. They never have to do it on their own. Yes. We're always have being saved. And now they go into the workforce and they're expected to figure things out. And they don't they don't have the experience to do it. Mm -hmm. They haven't developed the skills to do it. And they're terrified because they're afraid of failing because their parents always gave them the message that it's not okay to fail. So I'm going to jump in and make sure you don't fail. Mm. So now they're kind of paralyzed and that's why they need constant feedback because they need to know they're making sure they're going on the right track and they need tons of guidance because they don't know how to do it themselves. What is interesting though, is mm. when you explain what needs to be done, when you get their buy-in and they have a purpose and they've, see what the mission is, and they are allowed and know that they've got the freedom to experiment and do it the way that comes naturally to them. Uh, they're some of the most passionate, um, enthusiastic, amazing people mm -hmm. out there. So it's really, again, it's misunderstanding and it's being able to give them the grace to learn before yes. we get upset. Yeah, very good. So failure, really, it's, it's a learning process all onto itself. Yeah, it's, and, and, it's uh, really important. I mean, if you think yeah. about it, yes. nobody does anything perfectly or even no, no one does no. anything perfectly gen in general, but no one does anything really well. It takes a lot of practice. Yes. So we need to enable our kids, our teenagers to practice making good choices. They're not going to do it well. We need to help them practice, you know, managing their emotions. They're not going to do it well. So these are the things that, we need to give them that freedom to fail and to learn and to help them back up. I like that. Oh yeah, I like that very much. You know, and uh, but then you you know you, you see some behavioral uh, things going on. You know, when they're because I I know they're in between being a child and being an adult, mm -hmm. and and uh, uh, you know it's rather tumultuous. And so so sometimes uh, you know you think well, why why do they require lots of sleep, <laughs> lots of sleep, mm -hmm. doctor and and also what's behind the, the, the behavior of isolation. Can you uh, speak? Yeah. So the sleep, one thing with the sleep is yeah. teens do need more because they are going through this huge brain growth spurt. I mean, yeah. that takes a ton of energy. Yeah. Um, and they are literally a different person every day because they're growing so fast. Plus, there's a lot of stress. If you think about it, first of all, I don't know anybody else, anybody that would want to go relive their adolescence. I mean, mm -hmm. it's so much pressure. <laughs> There's sure. so much pressure. And so that's exhausting. And staying motivated requires energy and staying motivated for things you don't want to do, like online school and things like that. That mm -hmm. requires a lot. The other thing to realize is we perceive teens as needing a lot more sleep because their circadian rhythms, their sleep schedules are very different from ours. So we see teens that sleep until noon or one o'clock as being lazy, requiring too much sleep, whatever it is, but they don't naturally go to sleep until like two or three in the morning. 
Mm. And so we're trying to push them into what is naturally our sleep schedules. It's not theirs. And so we'll tell them go to bed, but most of the time they can't fall asleep until much later and then they sleep it. So they're getting the right amount of sleep. And I always tell parents, it's not about when they sleep. It's about how much sleep they're getting. Mm. My goodness. Yeah. In terms I, of, I, Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's just, you had asked about isolation. Too. Yes. Yes, I did. So the isolation, <laughs> I think kids will isolate themselves from their parents a lot. And there's two real reasons for that. One is they are trying to establish themselves as separate from their family. I mean, now is the time there it's autonomy, independence, self-reliance, competence, all of these things. They need to know that they're separate and can do it on their own, which is also one of the reasons why they disagree with every single thing you say, mm -hmm. right? No matter what you say, red, they say <laughs> blue, you say oh, up, they say down, right? Mm -hmm. This is wired in their brain. They're going to do it. Just let them do it and be like, oh, that's interesting. Um, you know, why do you say down? You know, why do you say blue? I'd love to hear that. Not mean, just understanding that that's what they need to do. So a lot of times kids will isolate themselves because they don't always feel like they have that freedom and space. And so they need to put physical distance between them. Um, a lot of times, and you know, I work with teens every day. And so I talk mm -hmm. to their perceptions. And a lot of times they feel like every time they're around their parents, their parents are just nagging them, telling them, asking them about their homework, worried about them. You know, do it, they're not fun to be around. Mm -hmm. They're just not fun that's to for, be sure. around. Yeah. So they don't want to be around them. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of times I just tell parents, you know, spend time with your kids, not talking, letting them talk and just listen. This is probably the mm -hmm. biggest there's two really essential skills for parents. One mm -hmm. is the ability to listen without feeling the need to lecture or criticize or fix or overreact or do any of those, which as a parent, again, I know is extraordinarily difficult, but it's letting your kids talk. And the other one is empathy. It's just validating what they're feeling. And mm -hmm. this is all a lot of kids want. And this is why they say, I'm not understood because they're not. They are mm. absolutely not understood. And we don't often take the time to try to understand them because a lot of times the things that they're upset about seem ridiculous to us. They're silly to us. But you know what? When we were their age, they were really important then too. And so realizing that what's important to them <clears throat> is important to them. And so to validate that and allow it to be important to them. And once we do that, they will start coming out of their rooms because here's another secret, Benjamin. Mm -hmm. In two decades of working with teens, I have yet to meet a teen that does not want a better relationship with their parent. Mm. They just don't know how. And so they want the same thing. They don't want to be isolated up in their rooms, but yeah. they don't know what else to do. Yeah, those are great points. I So um, from what I take from that is uh, parents need to listen, just listen. And uh, avail themselves to doing that instead of uh, uh, nagging, I guess, for the. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it's true. Um, nagging, we get into it. We get into the nagging. We get into yelling. We get into the threatening. Mm -hmm. They don't work long term. They may work very, very short term, but they actually will make the next time harder <laughs> for oh, us. Yeah. 
So um, I always encourage parents to use other, other skills and other tech strategies than those. Mm -hmm. Those are practical, very practical uh, uh, strategies to use. But uh, what what are the... uh... We are having a delightful visit with a family coach and who is also an adolescent psychologist regarding how we can improve our interrelationship of parents and teens. Here she is again, Dr. Cam. Any emotional repercussions? I'm not attending the class, the actual classroom today. I know many of the young ones are sequestered, you know, and have to stay at home and and if there are anything that we can do to mitigate those effects? There absolutely are, actually. Okay. Um, okay. And I know we're very worried because peer interactions extremely important. Yeah. Um, and just the social interaction is really important. There have been many studies before this, and there was recently one that interviewed, um, surveyed like 1,500 teens and asked them and compared 20, how they were in 2018 to this current summer, May, June mm-hmm. of this summer, in terms of depression and loneliness. Mm-hmm. And actually, a majority of them were less depressed and less lonely. And there was two key factors in that. One, they felt more connected with their family now than they had. Mm-hmm. The other one was they were getting enough sleep because they were able to go to bed later and sleep later. Yeah. And these both have enormous, enormous protective factors on our kids' mental health even more so than peer interaction. Uh-huh. So when we have this time with our teens, if we're going to take this time and what time is better than right now when we're all stuck at home together, right? Mm-hmm. Have family dinner, hang out and talk, play a game. Parents say, well, my teen won't come out of their room and do that. And then I'll ask, well, what do you want them to do? And it's often stuff the parents want to do. Well, no. There, if you want to hang out with your parent, if you want to hang out with your teen, do what your teen wants to do. Get on and play a video game. Go do a TikTok dance. Get on YouTube and see what they're watching on YouTube. Go into their world. And when you ask them to share their world with you, oh my gosh, they will open up like nobody's business. I am working with one, one child who is he's younger and did not want to open up, did not want to open up. And it took weeks for me to get him to open up. And we just would talk about what he liked, what he liked, what he liked. And finally, all of a sudden, it was like, I couldn't get him to not talk. <laughs> you know, it took a while. It took yeah. him, it takes a lot of building trust. Yeah. That you are not going to jump in and judge what they're saying, that you're not going to turn it into a teaching moment. Yeah. It takes a long time to build that trust up. But once you do, they want to open up. They want to talk to you. Yeah, I can see that uh, trust. Uh, I can see mm-hmm. where that's important. Otherwise, yeah. uh, they'll just clam up. They will. They're protecting mm-hmm. themselves. Why? Who wouldn't? If you knew you were going to say something and it was going to come back and bite you in the butt because now mm-hmm. you were going to get in trouble or they were going to fix or they were going to overact, I wouldn't tell somebody anything either, right? That's, that's right. Yeah, you and me both. I tell you what, <laughs> uh, even as uh, us as adults, you know, we kind of, you know, kind of pick and choose uh, who we're going to be, who's going to be our confidant, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I, you know, liken it to is, 
Mm-hmm. If you have a really bad boss that doesn't treat you well, you quit your job. <laughs> you know, That's if right. you go to a hairdresser that messes up your hair or a doctor that comes in and says, you know, I don't know what you're doing, you change. Kids mm-hmm. don't have that ability to change their parents. So if we're not putting full focus on being the best we can be, we're, you know, our teens, we're not, we're not giving our teens the best that we can. Um, And our teens don't have a choice. So I I just really want to encourage parents to um, keep focusing on being the best you can be, not beating yourself up for what you've done at all, but continuously being the best you can be. I like that. Uh, of course, there's no perfect parent, and by the same token, there's no perfect teenager. So it's just a matter of knowing each other, getting to know, and I like that very much. You know, what what are some of the top worries that teenagers have today? And uh, and I, and and of course, at what point would we determine whether they need professional help, doctor? Yeah. So um, the biggest thing that mm-hmm. almost every single teen has come to me on is great not because they care because their parents care and they think that their parents care more about their grades than they do about them and that Mm. stresses them out and they react in two different ways they either get extraordinarily obsessed with their grades and anxious about their grades and continuously focused about their grades because they put so much self-worth are wrapped up in their grades and their ability to succeed, that they're afraid to fail, that they will lose their parents' acceptance. The other side of it is they just give up 100% and they say, what's the point? Um, Because if I don't, you know, no matter what I do, it's not good (laughs) enough, so why even bother trying? And Mm. this is, without a doubt, the most common thing I hear across the board. Um, And it's this need to succeed and it's this desperate need for acceptance and approval and this feeling that nothing they do will be enough which then completely crushes your self-worth because if your parents don't accept you for who you are who's going to and parents I know are not doing this to make their kids feel bad they're doing it because they want to set their kids up for success and to us it's always been better grades equals better college equals better job equals better life. Well, the problem is we're sacrificing their life right now for some future that we don't even know what it is. Um, And that is crushing to me because I see kids who are, you know, teenagers already despondent about their future because it's already laid out for them and they don't like it. It's not what they want. It's what they've been told they need to do. And then we want to try to motivate them to do well in school when they don't like what they're learning in school. It's boring for them and it's leading to a future that they don't even want. So, of course, they're not motivated. Yeah. You know, that's, that's heartbreaking to me. <laughs> I mean, I, it, it, it really bothers me that, that, that you know, they, they go through those thoughts, you know, mm-hmm. that grades define them, you know. It does. It defines. And that's because that's the message they're getting yeah, is that yeah. it defines them. Exactly. Um, yeah. My goodness. So at what point, uh, let's say, um, what do we need to do if, uh, what determines whether they need professional help? Uh, let me ask you that. Um, I, with professional help, first of all, I think parents are going to know 
most. Um, I know adolescence is probably the most difficult time to figure that out because there are not teens naturally pull away. Teens naturally are, you know, more quiet. Um, I I would look at if teens are pulling away just from you, but they're still very active with their friends or active with other things, that's going to be more natural and you can work on your relationship. If Mm. teens are isolating from everyone and they're completely, and they're not used to doing that. And now they're completely changing a lot of their behaviors. Mm -hmm. Um, then go with your gut instinct. I think parents have a gut instinct on this and at least have them talk to somebody. And if they're not comfortable talking to you, have find somebody that you trust that they're comfortable in talking to. Cause a lot Mm -hmm. of times what they need is just to be heard and just to be validated. And sometimes that's it, you know, and they, and they start feeling better. And sometimes it is a lot more and a professional is going to be able to figure that out and know, yeah. but just notice really radical, big changes, I think is the yeah. biggest thing. Okay, good. Uh, and I think that's true. Uh, parents do, are, they're intuitive as to what, mm-hmm. what's really going on there. And, uh, and that, uh, I think that's good to be observant that way. So what does, uh, let me ask you this question. What does the research indicate regarding um, technology on the effects of mental health for the young folks? This is a nice controversial topic. Um, Mm. There is mixed views on this. Um, Mm. And I I have one particular view based on my observations and research that I've read, but you can pretty much probably find research to defend any thought you want. Um, so. so I'm going to yeah. share with you what I believe um, right. from experience and from the research that I've read is mm-hmm. that, yes, social media has can have very negative impact on our kids. It's addictive. There is some very dangerous content out there. Mm-hmm. And there is definitely, you know, we worry that they do, they're involved with it too much and they forego other things that they should be doing and be more Mm. active. Yes, Mm. yes, and yes. Now Mm. here's where I step in and say, but um, first of all, social media um, is also soothing. So Mm. social media and I, you know, it's, it's a matter of our devices. I should say our devices are, they're soothing for kids and this is where they get their, entertainment, their education, their social interaction, especially now, these are the things that comfort them. So my focus is two things, twofold. It's not how much time they spend on their devices. It's what they do on their devices Mm. because Mm. scrolling through Instagram and sending mean notes and comparing your body, you know, being insecure about your body image is one thing. But like my daughter, she spends, she goes on and she learns about Broadway, what she's obsessed about. She learns how to sing. She's got, you know, she, she follows the news and the sports and like all this stuff. And she keeps me, you know, informed because I don't have time for all that, I guess. Um, So she's learning a ton on there and she's engaging with people that have similar interests in with her. Um, So I think it's one thing to really think about it from that perspective The other perspective is I see negative social media use, not as the problem, but as the outcome. It's the, it's basically because other things in their lives are not in place. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's not causing the problems. They're turning to it because they have problems. 
Um, and I think a lot of times we need, we haven't been able to teach them how to use social media accurately. And so I think we focus so much on restricting, restrict, restrict, restrict. Mm -hmm. What happens when we do that is it makes it far more desirable. Um, and suddenly they want it more than they would if they could just use it whenever. Um, and they'll find a way. Trust me, they find a way. Um, and now they're doing it and they're sneaking it because they don't know you don't want. So you don't even know what they're doing on there. You can't talk to them about it. And you can't teach them about the right way, how to be safe, what type of information you should share, what to do if you see something negative on there, mm -hmm. you know, how to discern what is truth and what isn't truth and what are good sites and what they don't have that knowledge. So yeah. I'm always encouraging parents to let their kids use it and have them share what they're doing on it. Learn yeah. about this, you know, see what... Yeah. See what social media platforms they're on and learn about it. Show them how to set up security standards, you know, so mm -hmm. make sure that they are only interacting with people they know and creepy mm -hmm. people can't reach them. So learning how to do it. So it's really, you know, those two things. The other thing is a lot of times I see parents taking the phone away, which mm -hmm. that is pretty much the go-to of everybody oh, yeah. I've ever talked to. Oh, yeah. And here's why I've never once taken my phone away, taken the phone away from my daughter, mm. because a it's not teaching her to anything other than it's taking something away, but it's not actually motivating her or teaching her how to make better decisions. Um, it's leverage as a punishment, but it's not actually teaching her something. Um, it also a lot of times when we have these conflicts with our kids, that raises their anxiety level it raises these things and then we take one thing away that they know that soothes them so now they're left even more in a state of anxiety without ways to lower that um so i think it's really about changing how we approach things when we're taking our phone away that is a reactionary response that is, is. saying you did something wrong. I'm going to take your phone away. Or if you don't stop, I'm going to threaten you and take your phone away mm -hmm. rather than saying, you know, we already have discussed, this has been an ongoing concern of mine. I'd like to figure out how we can prevent this from happening. So mm -hmm. here's what my, the expectations are, and here's the consequences of those happening. So when you now have the decision, you either stay within the parameters of what we've discussed, or you go outside of those and you deal with the consequences, whatever those are. And if that is taking the phone away at that point, now the child has made the decision and decided I'd rather do this and have my phone taken away. But when we just say, oh, we don't like this, I'm taking your phone away. Mm -hmm. it, it, all it does is build distrust. Um, oh, sure. And it, it just really, and it doesn't teach anything. It's not no, a long-term no. solution. Exactly. It only exacerbates the problem. It really does. It really yeah, does. Yeah. Because, I, you know, I've known parents, you know, that they monitor uh, what their young ones are viewing on, inter on the Internet. And, you know, they try to keep the computer in the, in the front room where mm -hmm. they can keep an eye on it. But like you said, uh, devices, I mean, the iPhone, I mean, they, they, they have so, it's so easy to access anything on their own. Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, it's a matter of, um, like you said, talking to them and, and, and striking a balance, uh, yeah. I think.
a balance? Well, I think too, I think every single mm-hmm. generation, there is something that the younger generation has that we see as bad mm-hmm. and it's going to, you know, warp them and that's dangerous. Right. And it's because it's foreign to us. And yes, there's a lot of negative things that can happen, but there's a lot of negative things that can happen with a lot of things. This is something that's really, really foreign to us. And so it's, we have a lot of fear around it. Um, When I talk to teens, you know, it's interesting because we're so worried about cyberbullying and, Mm -hmm. you know, cyberbullying does happen, but adults are do it more than kids do it, you know, and we can teach kids how to avoid it or how to react to it or how to respond to it or how to not do it. And I think that's Mm -hmm. far more important than restricting it and, and not letting them do it because it is part of this world. It's not going anywhere. So let's teach them how to use it in a smart way rather than banning it. I agree that's with you. my opinion, and that's no. Well, I, I agree I with your opinion wholeheartedly. <laughs> you got my endorsement there, <laughs> right. doctor. Yeah, you really do. <laughs> oh dear. How about this question, doctor? How about uh, what are your thoughts on non-parent uh, mentoring? Well, as a, I've been a teen mentor for over so. a decade. <laughs> So, so I'm for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will yeah. say, so, you know, I, through my <clears throat> church, I was a youth, I've been, I still am a youth mentor. And so mm. I've been um, supporting and talking to teenagers and they've come over to my house and we hang out and they talk and they text me and they share stuff with me that they're not always comfortable sharing with their parents. Um, and their parents trust me. I know their parents and mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, I know most of the, well, all of the parents have always been very thankful that their kids have somebody that they trust sure. to talk to. Sure. And I mean, it's, it's great. And then as someone with a younger daughter, it was super amazing because I had, my daughter has teen me- mentors now because mm-hmm. these girls were all older than she is and now they mentor her. So mm-hmm. it's fantastic. You know, I, I think it's it's a must. I think it absolutely is a must that we have other people that we bring into our children's lives that we trust, mm-hmm. that we know, that we're comfortable with, that That's they true. can turn to. I agree with that. Because <clears throat> I've had some, I love the young folks, you know, I really do. And uh, uh, we have a lot of fun, you know, I take them hiking uh, um, and just do different things, you know, and they have revealed things to me that, mm-hmm. uh, they would not have to their parents. Yeah. You Sometimes know, you don't want to know, but you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, this just things that, uh, and you work them out and you talk mm-hmm. about it. And, mm-hmm. and that, but I, I do love the young ones. I, I yeah. Really um, <clears throat> so before uh, we let you go, uh, Dr. Cam, uh, would you speak to uh, your mini course that you have online and your newsletter and such? Sure. So actually the big thing that I'm doing right now that I'm really Mm -hmm. excited about um, is I have my podcast parenting teens with Dr. Cam. And Mm -hmm. so I go on um, twice a week now and I've been bringing on different experts to talk about things like this because there's so much information out there. I know, you know, in this one category, I know a lot, but there's a lot of other areas I don't know. So bringing in different views with that, 
So um, I'm, I'm excited about doing that. And my daughter's been joining me, which has been really fun. So she'll get on and she's 15 now. So we just go free form and mm-hmm. let people see what it looks like to just Sure. Talk with your talk with your oh, team about whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what I'm most excited about right now. Oh, that's that's really great. <clears throat> I like that a whole lot. So, so how can my audience reach out to you? Uh, maybe they need one-on-one uh, consulting and and so forth. Yeah. Uh, um, the best way to find me and find yeah. everything that I'm doing is to go to askdrcam.com, and that's A S K D R C A M com. That's my website. It's got links to my podcast. It's got, you can um, ask me for a free consultation. I'll meet with you and discuss to see if it's a good match. Um, but that's where you find every, my podcast. You, that's where you find everything. There you go. Very good. Well, I think it's, it's wonderful what you're doing because I, like I said, you know, it's uh, you love your children. It's just a matter sometimes needing a little bit of um, how to go about uh, yeah. improving that relationship. Yeah. And so I'm really grateful that you were uh, on the show and spend a few minutes with us, uh, doctor. And uh, I want you to keep up the good work. Thank uh, you. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I really betcha. appreciate it. This is, I've enjoyed this conversation. Likewise. For your listeners, if you have a suggestion or a recommendation of a subject matter you want to discuss, please let me know at yourlotandparcel.com. And now, if you would excuse me, This program has been produced by Isaac Diaz with music by Echo Foxtown. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are opinions only and should not be relied on. For more information, please visit the website yourlotandparcel.com.